0: I had a great text uh, from someone um, that's very close to me and I actually worked with them. I didn't know that they were in recovery and they have been for over 20 years. And I said, hey, I I think we're uh, we're on the same team. And he said, yeah, welcome to the winning team. So whenever someone reaches out to me now and they say, hey, I'm uh, seven days sober and I I wanna get some advice and I'd say, hey,
1: welcome to the winning team. This is Culture at a Crossroads with David Mann. We are back to explore the intersection of faith and culture in Canada. It's been over a year since he was booted from TSN. Joining me on the show, we have the iconic sports broadcaster, Dan O'Toole. How are you today? I'm great, David. How are you, buddy? Good. You are a sports broadcasting legend. Watched you as a kid, got up early. Uh, You and Jay helped helped me get out of bed in the morning and uh, really played a big role in becoming a sports fan. So thank you for that.
0: Well, I'm glad that uh, we got you out of bed because still at my ripe old age of 47, I still hate morning. So I need to discover a program like that that makes me get out of bed because I don't, I don't get morning people. I have friends say like, hey, uh, do like a gratitude list when you get up. I'm like, I don't want to make lists when I get up. <laughs> How do you wake up like where you're like, oh, all right, chipper? I think you need like a 24-hour sleep for that to happen. Then then you're, you've overslept and you've had too much sleep. I can't figure it out. I can't find the right balance for the mornings. But I'm glad that we were able to help you as a, a
1: youth. Well, your humor <laughs> is one of the big things that brought you guys uh, such a following. Let me ask you this. Like, okay. Off the record, who's funnier, you or Jay?
0: Oh, Jay, hands down. Um, when I started working with Jay, I... Didn't really do things that were fun. Well, I kind of said the odd funny line here and there. So I just followed Jay's lead in one of our first shows together, probably in the first month, he said a line. And then if you notice a lot of broadcasters, when they work together, the person throws in a throwaway line that it's not. It's not funny. They -hmm. just feel I got to say something here. Mm -hmm. I got to say something. So we went to commercial break after I said one of those things, after Jay said something funny. And he turned to me and said, if it's not funny, you don't have to say anything. And I'm like, that always stayed with me. And that's very difficult for a broadcaster to sit there and have there be silence. So we were comfortable with silence, letting the joke land and that it was 90% of our show, making sure you don't step on the other guy. And we got to a point where we can finish each other's sentences to this day. I know how to tee him up. He knows what to say to get me off on a tangent. It's kind of funny when we go to events and people ask us about something because we'll tell a story like we're twins he'll start the story i'll jump in he'll finish it it's it's very comical that it's uh that we developed that kind of rapport
1: now the chemistry that you guys developed together would you would it be fair to say that you guys more or less like reinvented the wheel of sports broadcasting with the way that you were able to kind of weave humor into the show and maybe like a a new stand-up in some ways
0: well, we both had uh, shows that we watched growing up. Jay was in Western Canada, so we watched Perry Silkowski and Darren Detitian. And here in Ontario, I watched Mark Hebsher and Jim Taddy when they did Sportsline. Watched it every single night. It was on Global, and they brought humor to it. And that was the first time I'd ever seen that. It always stayed with me and Jay, the same with Perry and uh, Darren. And when we got together... We wanted to just do a show. We didn't set out to reinvent the wheel. We just set out to do a show that we'd want to watch when we got home. Hmm. And then when we found out that the stupid jokes that we thought no one would get, people were like, oh yeah, I got that reference. Then we just, we just uh, went a bit longer with the leash uh, to see how far we could get. We'd get the odd email from our bosses. Why don't you guys dial it back 20%? That's what they'd always say. Can you dial it back 20% <laughs> or our producer, producer Tim uh he would get in our ear and say uh, like sometimes we go into fits of laughter and we couldn't even talk he'd he'd get in our ear and say this is a sports show can you guys talk about sports so uh we always had people reminding us that it was a sports show but we really just went to work uh trying to make each other laugh
1: Mm, he kind of seems like he's just been part of the the package for your whole uh, tenure together is is he close off the air with you guys too
0: he was there my day one because he got there a year before me, and that was in 2002. So I have been partnered with producer Tim since 2002. That is depressing. That is depressing. Working with someone
1: for, what, that's 20 years. Yikes. Talk to me about the the nature of, of the sports broadcasting gig. Uh, I read somewhere that you said you typically wouldn't get in until 2 a.m. at the earliest that's when I'd get home. So I'd uh, our show when Jay and I first started together,
0: our show was live at two a.m. So <laughs> we would arrive at work around eleven. You wouldn't get home until oh, around four in the morning, and then before we left to the states, our show was at one, and then when we came back at uh, from the states, it was at midnight.
1: Who is your favorite sports athlete all time? Oh.
0: Garth Orts, Toronto Blue Jay, Uh, he played way back when you you weren't even born when he played. (laughs) Um, So I was a big fan of uh, the 1985 Blue Jays. He was on that team. And then I became a massive fan of Patrick Waugh, had every one of his uh, hockey cards, had his posters. And then in my adulthood, I met him once. You know how they always say you should never meet your idols? And Mm. I lived that. I saw him at a restaurant, went up, went and gave my entire spiel. I was my favorite goalie growing up. And then I eventually got to do his highlights on a sports program. And then he just looks at me and says, do you want a picture or
1: what? I'm like, oh, Hmm." yeah, I'll still take a picture. (laughs) So don't meet your idols. You guys go south to Fox in 2013. Yep. Did you always envision coming back to Canada eventually?
0: Hmm, I don't think we had a vision. We were just uh it was like going on a road trip. Said, let's let's do it. And we didn't know if we were gonna go. It was uh it was on again, off again in the negotiations. They were gonna go with us, and then they're like, Oh, we're going in a different direction. Like, I guess we're staying. And then finally, when they gave us an offer, um, we went to one of our bosses and he said to me, If my son was in the position that you are in, I would tell him do it so that's why we did it it was a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity we were there for four years and the show we were on just didn't work there was like 10 people on air on our show and then eventually by the end of it we were the only two left (laughs) so (laughs) because a new regime came in and then they went all angry sports talk where they just bash lebron james so we we don't do that we just do highlights and they're like yeah we don't do a highlight show anymore so uh I guess you guys uh, don't have a job here anymore. (laughs) So that's when we came back to Canada.
1: (laughs) Was it weird like being in the States and prioritizing different sports? It's so strange that we are two countries that are connected.
0: Yet we would lead with a college football game at Fox that in Canada might make it in, in the last five minutes of the show we're on. Mm. We might show a 22nd highlight pack when we are, doing the first 10 minutes of our show on it. So it was just bizarre. And then we worked with people that had never watched a hockey game, had never obviously been to a hockey game if you haven't watched one. So it's just completely different. It's college football and NFL. And that's all anyone wants to talk about. And then LeBron James. That's all they talk about. (laughs) They don't talk about hockey. You can pick up a newspaper and you struggle to find the, the hockey uh standings let alone an article on it so yeah i got my uh i got my american on and got into all those american sports
1: <laughs> do you go back and visit la you got friends down there that you've i yes i have a uh, very good friends
0: actually one of our friends is a man by the name of jim pearl uh he was a stagehand at fox and he's uh since we've left there i haven't been back because well with covid and Right. family and everything but he came up to visit jay and i we met him in montreal i took jim to his first ever nhl game he was one of those people that had never been to a game he got to see a game at the four, at the uh, the bell center uh so that was amazing and then he also came here after that uh, trip to Montreal. Stayed at my house for a few days, and I got to show them around uh, Ontario and take them golfing. So, and keep in touch with every single one that we worked with there. Uh, we loved our time, and we we left with nothing but good memories of working there. Just a fantastic company. It's mm. uh, I'll tell you how differently they treat people. In a nutshell, mm. uh, here in Canada, you you get your suits provided to you, but you. You wear them to work and uh, you put all your stuff together. You put your tie and your shirt like a regular human. You dress yourself at Fox. You would show up to your dressing room. The suit that they want you to wear is hung up with the shirt, the tie. The belt is already in the pants. Your socks are there with your shoes because they want you to focus on your job and nothing else. They don't want you to spend a second thinking about what you're going to wear So they have it all laid out for you. And I'm like, this is the greatest. And the craft services always a table of food sitting around. You don't see that in Canada. They don't have food sitting around. So two little things like that always stand out. I'm like, wow, that was great. Mm -hmm. Did you have to stay till 2 a.m. there? Our show was done by midnight. And um, in the last incarnation of our show, when Jay and I were just literally in a uh, shoe closet, Uh, we were, we pre-taped that thing at like five o'clock. We were out of there by seven at
1: the latest. It was amazing. Sounds like a pretty cool gig. You're out of the network that you used to work with in Canada, just on the industry of sports highlights. I mean, you can watch things online so quickly. Do you think that this is an industry that's dying a little bit?
0: I don't know if people still watch them or not. I have found it more in the last two years that if there's a big highlight, if, there's any highlight going on? Yes, it's on your phone. So I don't feel the need. It almost feels dated by the time a highlight show comes on. So I think it's slowly dying as is TV in general, since you've got Netflix, you've got Prime now, they've got uh, football games on, Apple TV's got baseball games. The next contracts for all major sports will be bid on by those people as well. So tricky situation for those, those companies, how to stay relevant when everything is immediate, because TV doesn't feel like a newspaper, but it does feel dated when you get to the show. So even for someone who's been doing it, I've been doing this since 1997. Hmm. It's disheartening in a way because you're like, what is the future? Are there going to be jobs for anyone? And And uh, yeah, it's kind of depressing.
1: So you're doing boomsies now.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yes, it's great. Finally having a voice in the room and being at the table and being able to decide what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And that's what they've given me the leeway to, to kind of figure out on the fly. Do you like having so much
1: direction? Do you wish there was more people at the table with
0: you? No, I, I don't I don't like direction. I, uh, I don't like being told what to do. I'm a 47-year-old man, and I, it's about time I figured out what I wanted to do and just did it. So it's great. Some people need direction. Some people like showing up at work and saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do, and this is when I'm going to leave. <laughs> I kind of probably was like that. I also was of the belief where, I need, I need to be on TV. I need this job. But once I was out of it, I'm like, I didn't need that. Like that's not me. I I don't want to be known as, Hey, that guy was on TV. I want to be known as just Dan. And that's not my entire persona, which a lot of people in TV, they kind of get it in their head. Like that's their oxygen. They need to be in front of a camera to survive.
1: Dan, talk to me a bit about the experience off the air, pretty soon after you were laid off from your previous company and you checked into rehab, were there some red flags for you leading up to this point where you were sort of like, yeah, this is something I did to do?
0: Uh, there was no red... F- well, there would have been red flags now that I had to look back um, because I'd get home from work and finish at a bottle of wine and like have a joint. And then, oh, I guess I can have another cocktail. So you do that seven nights a week. It adds up and then intensified on the weekends when you don't have the kids. But it all happened when I went to... So I got laid off on like a Wednesday or a Thursday and then went to, uh, I had a pity party. Jay even came out to make sure I was okay. That weekend we hung out, had a lot of laughs and I thought, oh, everyone's coming to, coming to hang out with me. But no, they were just making sure I was safe um, because I was in a bad spot mentally. And then went to the Super Bowl party on the Sunday and then woke up uh, at my buddy's house with a gash on my head. And that's when I literally said, okay, this needs to stop. And then called friends and family. And I said, guys, I, I need to never drink again. They did all the paperwork. They came, picked me up and I was in a rehab facility, I believe a day and a half later. So I, I, what I saw when I woke up was this is going to be my first week, not driving to work, not getting home at two. So I just envisioned myself, as soon as you got up, uh, have a cocktail because you got nowhere to be. So I'm like, oh, that'll turn into a bottle of wine. This is, this is a train I want to get off of before it even leaves the station. So it's the best decision I ever did in my life to call people and say, I need help. The response from everyone is, okay, good. Not a single person that I called and said, hey, I'm going to rehab. Did they say, oh, you don't need to go? They all said, Good. So, you know, you're in a space where you need help when everyone is kind of pushing you along.
1: What's it been like, the, the process of, of rehabilitating? It's the best thing. I,
0: we were talking off air before we came on here and the support community in the recovery community is phenomenal. Uh, I had a great text uh, from someone um, that's very close to me and I actually work with them. I didn't know that they were in recovery and they have been for over 20 years and I said, hey, I, I think we're, uh, we're on the same team. And he said, yeah, welcome to the winning team. So whenever someone reaches out to me now and they say, hey, I'm uh, seven days sober and I, I mm. want to get some advice. And I'd say, hey, welcome to the winning team. And yeah, it's just that support community is like nothing I've ever experienced. And it's people that want nothing from you. This is what we were mm. discussing uh, mm-hmm. off air. They want nothing from you. They want you to succeed. I wake up to texts from friends giving me their gratitude Listen, hey, I'm I'm happy to wake up in a nice warm bed today, uh to to have a fresh cup of coffee, like simple things that it kind of re-triggers and you say, yeah, I should be grateful for this stuff because I still hate mornings. Um and then grown men leaving me I got a message over the weekend. A buddy just saying, "Hey Dan, just letting you know you're loved and uh, I, I can't wait to meet you in person because you do a lot of zoom meetings with these people. And I'm like, I have never received a message like that from anyone in my life, let alone a grown man. And it just floors you a lot of times. And yeah, it's, I just love it. It's, it's something that you, you hear about people that are in recovery them describe it and you're like, yeah, whatever. It can't be that good, but it is. And I'm living proof because, uh, I, I just cherish it every single day that I woke up that one day I hit my bottom. Uh, I keep saying bottom. It sounds like I'm like slapping myself in the butt. I hit my bottom. I hit the bottom and then, uh, and then realize I needed to make that change.
1: Well, it's neat to hear too, how you're, you know, trying to push that forward too, as you tell people they're on the winning team and, and you want to give them the same encouragement that you've received.
0: Yeah, because I I didn't know if I'd ever tell my story because when you're in rehab, you're like, oh, I hope no one ever finds out about this. Is. There's a ton of shame. You're like, how did I get here? And then once you're out of it and then you talk to more and more people, and then I talked to, to one of my close friends, and I'm like, should I discuss it? He's like, yeah, why not? You don't know who you're going to help. And then at least... Once or twice a week, I'll receive a message from someone on social media or I'll get an email asking for advice or saying, like I mentioned before, hey, I'm seven days sober. I just want to let you know it's because I listened to your podcast and, and I heard your story wow. and, and um, it was like looking in a mirror. So if nothing ever else comes of this podcast, I know that we've helped some people and that that is more important to me than doing 20 years of highlights. The biggest thing is What I've wrapped my tiny little brain around is you use drugs, alcohol, because you aren't comfortable in your own skin. Mm. And I'd find myself having a bottle of wine because I was fearful of being alone. And you don't feel alone when you're like drinking or smoking or whatever. And then once I got into sobriety, I now cherish my alone time. I'm like, oh, geez, I get to read a book. I get to watch a game. And that's something I never, ever had before because I always, okay, now it's time to have this drink, have this drink, have that smoke. So I am the most comfortable I've ever been in my skin in my 47 years on this earth. So that is why, because I never found that before.
1: Dan, you mentioned off the air too, that a lot of the people, part of these rehab program have been spiritual. I mean, you shared that you're not really there as far as your, your connection with, with a higher being or with God. But is there something that's like stirring inside of you that's attracted to these kinds of people more after kind of being supported by them so much over this past yes, little while?
0: A hundred percent. Like, uh, I am surrounded by people that have a higher power and they mention God all the time. And before I'd kind of be like, Oh, cause I was ro- raised Roman Catholic and I just, just didn't like religion. But now that I'm in this community that embraces a higher power, uh, I'm a lot more accepting. I haven't found that in my life yet. I don't know. I've, but uh, every day I wake up wanting to, to discover more about myself and about finding a higher power. And it's not like before sobriety when I'd wake up and not swear to the powers that be, but I just like, yeah, that's nothing. That doesn't exist. But now when I see it in people around me and see their joy in life and joy that they find speaking of a higher power, yeah, it opens my uh, my eyes a lot more.
1: Wow. So it sounds like you're on a whole other quest as well right now. I am on a quest. Aren't yeah. we all? That's right. That's right. That's awesome. Well, Dan O'Toole, thanks for taking so much time. Privilege to chat with you and you always make people laugh just like you've done today.
0: I'm glad uh, I got to tell my story because um Again, someone might listen to this and what I tell them and what I said last week on uh, Boomsies was, why not today? People mm. will, like hey, we get a gym membership or you're like, oh, I'm going to start on Monday. Why not today?
1: It's the best thing you'll ever decide to do in your life. Thank you for sharing it. Thanks for taking the liberty to do that. Dan O'Toole, host of Boomsies, iconic sports broadcaster in Canada, and he's been right here on Culture at a Crossroads. Bamsies! <laughs> that is the always entertaining Dano Tool. Boomsies, if you want to check out his weekly podcast show notes on where you can find the storyline of his career at DavidManMedia dot com slash podcast. Do check out the Culture at a Crossroads archive. You can find that anywhere that you listen to your podcasts or at davidmanmedia.com. And we do invite you back next week as we once again explore the intersection of faith and culture in Canada, helping to better equip you in following Jesus.